welcome to the SoCal Summer Swing Out. It is I, your host. If you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, because today we have a wonderful guest. Hello, Hillary Alexander. Hello, friend. Hello. Thanks so much for being here. Super appreciate you making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Now, the reason why I really wanted to have uh, you on is because I'm doing a series of four podcasts that are all going to be pointing towards Camp Hollywood. And it's such a treat to have the main organ of Camp Hollywood here. So goodness gracious, thank you so much for making time. <laughs> thank you. Um, so for starters, I think where I wanted to start was, I don't think a lot of people know that you moved to, Cal like me, you moved from California or not from California, you moved to California from the East Coast, right? Yes. So can you walk us through like how that started, what prompted it and how that experience was like learning how to dance here? Yeah, so I, I grew up in um, uh, first in Boston and then mostly in New York City. Um, mm -hmm. So I went to high school there and everything. And after high school, I was very interested in film production and realized that I really needed to be here. <laughs> Especially at the yeah. time, there, there wasn't a whole lot of production happening in New York City. So this was 93, a long time ago, mm. probably older, longer than many of your listeners have been alive. <laughs> <laughs> so I moved here in January of 93. It was very much an, uh, the kind of thing you can do when you're that age. I was 20 at the time. Uh, where you just kind of pick up and go, I'm just going to go here and do this and really had no plans and knew nobody here, uh, had no money. <laughs> I was totally unprepared. I actually mm -hmm. came just to visit for a week. Um, like I, <laughs> this is a very common story of uh, New Yorkers who come to LA in the middle of winter and mm -hmm. set one foot on the ground and go, I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I did. I, I came here with a suitcase, you know, just, just to visit for a week and see if maybe, you know, a couple of years later, if I save money and whatever, I might want to come later. And I just, I remember calling my mother after a few days and saying, is there any reason for me to come back? <laughs> <laughs> and she mm -hmm. said no you know if you want to stay there you should stay and I just stayed I just didn't go back oh wow <laughs> that's a harrowing story that's just like yeah I picked up everything and just went yeah and so I, I had everything I had a whole life there I had a full-time job I had an apartment I had all kinds of things and so I just sort of had to unravel all of that from a distance and also figure out my life here the number one most difficult thing was I didn't even know how to drive. I had to learn mm. how to drive from scratch. Like I was raised by wolves. Like I literally <laughs> didn't have the slightest idea of any of that. Cause I've been in New York city since I was nine years old. Like we didn't drive, we didn't have cars, you know? Yeah. So I had to learn how to drive. I had to get my license. I had to shop for a car. I had to get a car. I had to get car insurance. <laughs> I had to figure out how to put gas in the car which I didn't know how to do. Cause you know, how would you mm -hmm. know that? You don't just know mm -hmm. that, you know? And I had to try to find a job in the middle of a recession at 20 with no qualifications whatsoever wow. to do anything except work in a video store, which is all I had done. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was ridiculous. I mean, I, I look back on that now and I'm like, I cannot believe I did all of that or, or <laughs> that I thought that was a good idea. Mm -hmm. And that first mm -hmm. year was really, really, really hard, mostly because I didn't know anybody and the isolation mm -hmm really crushing um mm -hmm. that was honestly that was the hardest part and just the constant 
feeling of, did I make a terrible mistake? What if this doesn't work out? I just have to turn around and go home. Like that was at the door all the time, this feeling of like, what if this doesn't work and I just have to go home, you know? And it took yeah. a long time. It, it took me about eight months to get a job. Mm -hmm. And I'd racked up horrific debt just trying to survive until that point. Uh, but mm -hmm. I did get a job and I did learn how to drive and I did get a car and I did. The one thing I didn't do, though, was meet people. And that's mm. where swing dancing came in. Boom. So three years later, after really, other than having coworkers, I really didn't have friends, you know, because mm -hmm. I, again, I was not in an environment where I'd grown up with people. I didn't have like college friends or high school friends. I didn't have anybody out here. And the people that I worked with, you know, I was still a 20 year old girl. Everyone in this office, I worked at MGM first. They were all, you know, adults. They were in their forties and had families and, you know, they were friendly enough, but they weren't going to hang out with me, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really hit this crisis point around 1995 where I was just so hideously lonely and mm. needing of community. Like we all do. I mean, that's such an intense human need um, I, that I ended up in therapy. I was like, I was so depressed. I was like, what's wrong with me? And the therapist didn't recommend this, but it sort of came out of the therapy that I really just need to find a hobby with like-minded people. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that's like back then before there was an internet, you know, that was really the only way to find people that you could vibe with, you know, is try to find something you could do that was social where you could meet some people. So again, it was the end of 95 and I had grown up in a, a jazz household. My mother was a jazz pianist and that was mm -hmm. a, a huge part of our lives. And so I remember seeing in the LA Weekly that there was a swing night happening at the El Rey. And I thought, well, I love music. I, I'd love to see some live jazz. What the heck, you know? And I'd always been a collector of vintage clothes and old things. And I was like, well, I'll just throw on a little 40s dress and just head over there and just you know, I may not even talk to anybody, but at least I'll get to hear some good music and have a nice night out, whatever. Yeah. So I go over to the El Rey and I forget the band. It was probably something like, um, gosh, Red and the Red Hots or somebody like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I saw all these people dancing, which I did not expect. I thought it was going to be like a sit down jazz, you know, listen to some swing, whatever. And then the whole room was full of people dancing and young people dancing. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, what, what the heck is this? Like, how long has this been going on <laughs> that I was yeah. not aware of, but you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that was it. That was the moment where I was just like, I have to learn how to do this. How do I learn how to do this? Mm -hmm. And again, pre-internet, I couldn't just Google, you know, swing lessons. I'd never even heard the term Lindy Hop. I didn't know what that was. So I was just like swing dancing. I don't know. And I looked it up in a yellow pages because that's what you did back then. Like learn to dance, dance studios, ballroom dancing. Mm -hmm. And so I went to, uh, um, uh, gosh, the name is escaping me now. What's, what's the famous dance studio read? Arthur, Arthur Murray. Reed? Arthur Murray. That's it. I can never <laughs> remember that. So I went to an Arthur Murray and I said, I want to learn how to swing dance. And, uh, you know, so they did a little, their little intro, like, oh, we're going to learn some salsas and rumbas. And I was like, no, no, no. I just want to learn swing dancing. And if I remember correctly, they taught me some quick little, uh, side, side rock step thing you know, which would have been called East Coast Swing at the time. Uh -huh. And I just knew, I was like, eh, this isn't it. And also I didn't want to pay $800 for, you know, six months of classes, mostly in dances that I really wasn't interested in learning. Because that's what they do. They want to sell you this big package and 
You know, yeah. I was like, I didn't have that kind of money. So I just kept going places. And I finally did find um, a learning annex <laughs> class that was teaching East Coast and West Coast swing. Mm -hmm. And we all, um, and that was where I found like my first little group because at the end of the class, after six weeks or whatever, we all sort of wanted to go out and celebrate and have a good time. So we went to the Derby. Mm. We all went to the Derby and it was the first time ever that I got out in public and attempted to dance <laughs> on a dance floor okay. with people. Mm -hmm. And I was just hooked, you know, like any of us who do this, you know, we're here because we got hooked somewhere and we're just like, this is it. This is, I don't know why, but this is the thing. And, right. and then I found PBDA, which taught actual Lindy Hop, unlike pretty much anyone else. And then right. I started taking learning Lindy Hop and I was like, oh, okay, this is the thing that I saw in the old movies. This is what, this is the real deal. And so I learned through them. And then I went to their swing camp Catalina that year in 96. And, um, you know, the rest is history. And it did completely take away the isolation and the loneliness, you know. It did. Completely. Yeah. Like straight up just everything. Yep. It's like, these are my people. You know, we're all nerds. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> we all love music. We all love old things. You know, we have the sentimentality about us where we like to preserve things and like, you know, like to be around older people and you know, there's just is a certain type of person that's attracted to swing dancing. And, and mm -hmm. I was like, these are my people. Uh -huh. And yeah. I think that maybe some listeners could empathize because there's, I know there are some listeners here who are moving to different cities. We have two California dancers that are now moving. RIP Paul Riding now in <laughs> Seattle or in uh, Sacramento. NorCal, yeah, Sacramento. Yeah. But like I feel, I feel like that loneliness that you're talking about, a lot of people can empathize with because dancing is such a connected thing. I was curious, like, in your own words, how would you describe like when you were first starting that connectedness? What is it that like really made you feel okay? My isolation's gone. Well, I mean, if you're talking about the physical act of dancing, mm. certainly the proximity of another human being and the touch, I think is something that affects us in a way that we don't truly understand because it's so mm -hmm. primal, you know? And I certainly heard a lot of people talking about that through, you know, the COVID shutdowns and things, how not having face-to-face -face and not having human touch was incredibly devastating for people in a way that they didn't anticipate. You know, because mm -hmm. obviously you can be in touch by text and you can call people on the phone and you can do things like this, but it's just not the same as being in a room with other human beings, you know, and interacting and talking and looking in the eyes. And so I think there is, especially touching, you know, by hand and having someone's hand on your shoulder, like all these little things are, are what humanizes us, you know? Mm. So there was that aspect of it, but really, you know, beyond just the fun of dancing and learning and all that. The social part, mm -hmm. you know, for me, the best parts were going out to eat afterwards and, <clears throat> you know, getting in our little friend groups and talking about our friends and who's dating who and who's broke <laughs> up and who, you know, just all that fun stuff that, that yeah. is what it is to be friends with a group of people and especially new people, people that you're getting to know. It's all very exciting, you know, and if you're single, yeah. getting to date somebody and, you know flirting and <laughs> it's all great it's all part of being human yeah and that I feel like that connected piece is something that 
was it was missing for a while in a lot of people's lives. And I was curious, is that kind of what started your conception or the idea of Camp Hollywood? Or how did how did that play a part in you creating that first event? I know you and I had talked about this over coffee, but I, I wanted to hear it. Yeah, so so the genesis of Camp Hollywood was um you know, this was in 98, the first Camp Hollywood. And at the time, other than a couple of events in the U.S., there was one in Northern California that's still there. And then um, I believe Beantown had started the year before. Mm-hmm. Other than Catalina um, and Harang, there weren't that many Lindy Hop dance events in the world. You know, there were just a smattering here and there, and they were kind of not not that accessible to everybody. Um, and there was sort of this movement in, in Los Angeles of the LA dancers, like the younger crowd, where they were really interested in Balboa and Shag, and they were really interested in the old movies and sort of recreating the old clips. And because we knew some of the dancers that were in the movies, that was the advantages of of being in the cities, you know, you're, you have Mm -hmm. access to people that were in actual movies, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which isn't something you really get anywhere else, you know? And some of these people were still dancing and still going out and like Marge and Hal take here were running a club. You know, they had a dance club in, in, in Brea that you could go to mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you could meet them and, and they would show you how to dance. And, and so there was this whole group of us that, you know, the LA, the Hollywood dancers that we were, we were sort of coming up with this different approach, this different style. And I felt like the the original idea was just well I'd love to put on like some kind of little weekend thing you know for this whatever this is yeah yeah (laughs) you know like using our bands the ones that we like from from the derby it was very derby centric because that was kind of our clubhouse you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and teaching this particular approach you know which was called Hollywood style at the time for a reason Mm -hmm. and inviting all the old timers that we've been talking to and learning from And I was just like, you know, I think I could do that. I think I could Mm. just put on a little party. Like, you know, you rent a space, you rent the band. You know, the only thing was the the financial liability. And fortunately, I had gotten a better job at that point. And it was um, at Paramount. It was a union job. So my money was just like, you know, had doubled. And I was like, you know, I think I could take a hit. If I lost, you know, $10,000, it wouldn't completely destroy my life at this point, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I decided to just, to just go for it and put this, this little thing together. And it, it was very popular. You know, that first Camp Hollywood, I expected maybe a hundred people and we got 300 people. So it was, you know, overflowing at the, (laughs) at the doors. I mean, it was just packed. And I think for those of us, and there's still quite a few people around who were there, you know, as customers. And I, I would hope that they remember it as I do, which is it was just really, it was really kind of magical, you know. Mm. It was this coming together of like-minded people, and it was the first thing of its kind. And it was, you know, it was small and intimate. Um, and all the old timers were there, and it was great to be in their presence and uh-huh. you know, watch them dance because they were, you know, this 20 five years ago they were still pretty spry you know they were in their Mm -hmm. 70s and they could still like (laughs) even throw a little aerial here and there you know Mm -hmm. a little bit of this and that so it was it was a really magical time you know it was definitely the beginning of something so that was the first one yeah did you ever imagine that it would get as big as it did no 
I mean, I didn't even really plan on like an annual thing, you know, certainly when it was successful the first year, it was like, oh yeah, I should definitely do this again. Mm -hmm. um, but I never would have imagined that it would be a career or that it would get this big, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, all of us back then, we sort of, it was, swing dancing was on such a high in the late nineties. And those of us who are realists like, like me are kind of like, well, this is going to crash. You know, it's not going to stay like this. This is going to end. Mm -hmm. And in a way it, it, it kind of did like the early two thousands was a really, was a real Valley as far as attracting new people, keeping people interested. You know, it's, it's one of many valleys I've seen over the years. So that was probably one of the harshest ones because people just sort of moved on. You know, it was, a, it was a trend for most people. It was just sort of this thing they dabbled in and then they, got back to their lives you know mm -hmm. for those of us lifers <laughs> again who like grew up wearing 40s dresses and with a jazz pianist for a mother it's like I felt like I found the thing I was always supposed to be doing you mm. know so the option of well I'm just gonna move on to the next hobby that that wasn't an option for me I was like no 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 this is the thing you're gonna do <laughs> for the rest of your life <laughs> you yeah know? So, but I understand that, you know, it's different for everybody and it's totally fine if people want to just pop in and just have a great time and then like never do it again. You know, yeah. it's like, it, it's fine. It, we're here for you. Whatever, however you need to approach this, if you want to go away and have a family and come back in 15 years, we'll be here. Exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll be here to here. welcome you back. You know, if, if you miss it, if you want to get out, if you want to see some of your old friends, like we're here. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> I was going to say, because I know some people who started dancing, were really big into it, dancing seven nights a week. And then, you know, life happens. They have a family and they stopped dancing for a while. But I remember one of them came out and they said, man, I've missed this. Yeah. I really miss this. I feel like that really, swing dance really captures that beauty, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. And I know that something that lives kind of in infamy is also competitions because w right around the time when you were creating Camp Hollywood, were you also like heavily competing then? Yeah. 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 There were, no. there were lots, mostly what you had back then was um, non swing dancing promoters of like local bars and clubs that saw this trend happening, you know, thanks to like the gap ad and swingers and stuff like that. And, what they would do is they would have like a swing night at their bar or club. And there were a million horrible neo-swing bands <laughs> that, that needed work and could work. And, and so they, they put on these little dance contests, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I would run the whole circuit of all of those with various partners, you know, like Min, Jeremy, other people that aren't around anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, and we would, we'd sometimes win and sometimes not. But then also there were other organizers. There was a woman, Melinda Camo, up in um, the Ventura area who was running an event called Jitterbug Jam that we would all go to. Jitterbug Ball came first and then Jitterbug Jam. And she would have these very traditional, kind of like the contest I do now, sort of like sort of West Coast Swing based format where, mm, you know, mm. you come out and do a spotlight or there's a showcase or, you know, there's a Strictly, that kind of format. And so we would all get together and we would all do those. So I, it's been a long time since I've been a competitor, obviously. I mean, I probably stopped in like the mid 2000s, but I still, I get the mentality, you know, I understand. <laughs> you under, you understand. 
And I feel, I mean, I hope, I'm saying this, I hope it's true, that I I feel like I get competitors and what they need, mm, mm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and with the understanding that certain things have to be done a certain way, you can't always like, you know, certain things like will never be ideal, you know, when in running a dance contest, but they just kind of have to be that way. Like if I could let every follow into the amateur mix and match, I would. Mm-hmm, but the contest mm-hmm. would literally be unjudgeable because <laughs> there would be so <laughs> many people that yeah. you do have to cut things off. Like there's a limit to what a judge can even remember after an hour of watching people. And it just becomes not good for anybody if there's too many competitors, you know? I hear you. Now talking about like the, the what I hear is your kindness when you're approaching it. You wish like you could be kind to everyone. I remember when we did the, amateur lindy strictly and you were telling amy and i we were the first ones you're like sorry you guys are the first ones something that popped into my head as the adrenaline was going i was like oh man hillary's so nice she's so nice (laughs) yeah uh, i mean it's great when competitors and and i believe me i i totally get like you're in that moment you're hyped up it's super emotional mm -hmm. it's hard to have empathy for the organizer in that moment (laughs) (laughs) but you know, as the organizer, I, I understand how it's never going to be a hundred percent fair. And so like that, like having to be the first couple out is a bit of a disadvantage because you're not going to be remembered as well as the last couple, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. like, sorry, it's you, (laughs) you know, it's like somebody has to be first. (laughs) There's no way to fix it. Yeah. Oh, no. It, it it ended up being one of my favorite dance videos I've ever had in my whole entire life. Oh, good. Um, so I was I was actually Amy and I were actually very, very grateful for that, which actually comes takes me to the topic of like competing overall and like the mindset of competing. Oh, in regards to that like competitor mindset, how did you approach competitions when you were first doing it? Running or being in? Uh, being in it. Oh, um, you know, it was hard for me because I never had a consistent partner. And that's mm. kind of what made it so that I stopped because, you know, in the early days, you could just do a Lindy swing out and pretty much win. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's what it was like back then. Yeah. But it got more and more difficult as people got better and practiced and, you know, did more and more aerials, which is something that I was never particularly good at. Even if I had practiced mm. a lot, I just wasn't good at it. <laughs> Um, but not having someone to consistently practice with was a huge disadvantage. And so there was Mm -hmm. a point at which I had to just, um, step out, you know, but, um, but we would practice as much as we could and Mm. just like all all of us just get in there and, and do your best and try to enjoy it, you know, try to throw down. Yeah. 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 So that term. I've been hearing that term a good amount since we went to SoCal, but the concept of throwing down, does that mean like, hey, I want to win? Or does that mean I'm just going to show what I got? And then what happens, happens? I think it could be both. I know. Ah. I mean, it would be great to think that people do it just for fun and don't care about winning, but winning is nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just nice to be validated. Yeah. So I think it's a little of both. It depends on the person, of course. I mean, I... I'd like to think that my attitude was, I just want to do my best. You know, Mm -hmm. we all want that. Um, You just don't want to mess up. You don't want to get hurt. You don't want to, you know, 
biff your aerials and stuff like that but certainly winning is is a nice feeling <laughs> 150 150 percent because yeah. i know that um whenever i talk sometimes when i talk with andrew jose like he brings up the concept of throwing down which he throws down you know he throws down and so i was curious about that mentality if you if you could if you were talking to say someone who's competing for like the first time at camp hollywood what's kind of the advice that you would give them um i would say i mean obviously do your best mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh pay attention to your partner don't make mm -hmm. it all about you because the judges mm -hmm. will pick up on that um and it's easy to get lost you know, and, and just make it all about you. I would say they really look for connection. That's, that's important. Um, don't lose sight of the music for sure. Don't just like run through your choreography without at least trying to respond to what the music is doing. Um, I know that's another thing that's really important to judges and audiences, you know, that you're dancing musically. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, yeah, throw down. You know, Throw down. I mean, I would say my, I'm not going to say this is always executed perfectly, but from the beginning, my goal with Camp Hollywood contests has been, we don't want people penalized for making, taking chances. Mm -hmm. But you don't, this is not the place you come to be technically perfect. Mm. You know, this isn't ballroom. <laughs> You're not trying to hit these perfect, you know, body positions and hit everything perfectly and check off a list of things that are supposed to be in your dance you know this is supposed to be about taking risks so mm -hmm. it's one thing if you take risks and just flop everything I mean obviously you're not going to be rewarded for that but but you know I do impress upon the judges and they do with it what they will you know um that people should be taking risks and people should be trying things and if it's not perfect they shouldn't lose points for that that is I think that that's such a, a beautiful thing to hear is that, you know, take chances and take chances and it's not meant to be like super technically sound. Cause I know there are some places where that's all that matters, mm -hmm. but I, I love that you bring that energy and that spirit to Camp Hollywood. And that's like what you were searching for. Yeah. I mean, to me, you know, Lindy Hop is a street dance and, and mm. as much as we've sort of, unfortunately made it into this more organized thing just for the purposes of having an event that people can come to mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. there has to be a certain level of organization involved um it's walking that fine line of how do we keep this raw and street but also have a competition where somebody has to win you know like how do you make that all work and again it's it's not a perfect science and my job as the organizer if the judges decide all of this you know mm -hmm. is to at least make sure that the judging panels have different points of view represented different types of people mm. so it's not just <clears throat> all the same kind of person looking at something in the same way you know and that's how relative placement works relative placement is is the actual numbering system of how you get a first and a second and a third it works on sort of an average so it's not it's not about you know adding up the numbers or something like that it's it's about getting an average of what these people saw 
and hopefully getting like the best representation of the judge's opinions from that, you know? Yeah. Now, this is when you're talking about this concept of taking chances or whatnot, is that for just amateur? Is that for open, advanced, and everything altogether? It's for everybody. Yeah. Gotcha. It applies to everything. What have you seen? This may be like a, 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 a strange question to ask, but what have you seen be like the most successful traits of the people that did well throughout the years in Camp Hollywood? I'm going to say, especially with regards to the more professional dancers, like the open divisions, which used to be mm -hmm. the pro divisions. Um, I will say that the people that were the best prepared mm. seemed to be the best. There, there's definitely something to be said for practice. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a street dance and it's spontaneous and all that, but there is a level of just straight up hard work that you see out there and you can tell when people are just kind of winging it. And occasionally you'll get this magical moment where people are winging it and they're awesome and, you know, but that's pretty rare. It's usually the people that are obviously seasoned and know music and know moves and know how to put things together, know how to dance musically. And they're just prepared. You know, they came in prepared. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> I already know that. So right now we're recording in July. This will probably come out in uh, early August. I've known people that have been practicing for the past two months already oh, wow. in preparation yeah. for Camp Hollywood. And yeah, so it's that... a lot of work. It's a lot of commitment, you know? And again, like I said, there there are those magical moments where somebody just grabs somebody and, and they just like, yeah, let's just do this. And they do it and it's amazing and they win, but that's pretty rare. <laughs> like yes. you, you have to be pretty amazing to, to pull that off. And it's rare that people actually pull that off. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh you know? yeah, I can imagine. Which, but that's why we have things like the mix and matches and then also the classic divisions, which at Camp Hollywood are just about um, slower music, no aerials. Mm -hmm. And those are the most popular because you don't have to be as prepared. Like you really can grab somebody and say, let's do this and just have a really awesome social dance, you know. And if you're both musical enough and creative enough, you'll do well in that one. So I wanted to have like a difference, like there's the highest level of preparation, which is the showcase where you do an actual routine. And mm -hmm. then there's the the strictlies. I don't really call them that, but the, the, like the open Lindy, the amateur Lindy, where you do aerials are allowed. They're certainly not required, but they're allowed. And so you do need a little mm -hmm. more for that. And then there's the, the classics where you can just kind of just dance, you know, and then there's the mix and matches where you don't even need a partner. You can just dance with the people you're matched with. And that's, you know, that level of commitment. So I like to make it so that there's something for everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think that I speak for a lot of dancers and competitors when we say we are grateful for the breadth of competitions that are there. Cause it's not just like throw amateur and stuff for Lindy, but there's also stuff for Babo and Shag too, which mm -hmm. I think speaks to Southern California. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could, if there were any more hours in the day, you know, I would definitely expand on <laughs> the Shag and Balboa <laughs> offerings. Um, but literally, unless we do contests at like two o'clock in the morning, I don't know where we would put them at this point. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And speaking of competitions, I'm curious because you're in a very unique position where you've seen so many competitions. 
throughout the years. What's one or two moments or one or two couples or people that you remember distinctly in your mind that did like something amazing that you're like, wow, that's going to stick with me? Gosh, that's hard. Um, well, unfortunately, my own event, I'm always sort of half watching. Oh, uh, yeah. That's because I'm, I'm yeah. first of all, I'm behind everybody on the stage. So I don't get that like front view where it's really impactful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm usually too busy worrying about the next thing on the schedule and are we on time? Mm. And, you know, can I get a bottle of water somewhere and just all this <laughs> stuff? So, so back when I was editing, when I used to make DVDs, um, which mm -hmm. I stopped doing in 2010, I was the editor and I sat and edited all of these divisions and I would go through four different angles of each thing wow. and sync them up and pick the best shots. So in those days, I was super intimately involved in every single routine, every contest, and I knew what everybody did. Since then, it's been a little bit of a disconnect because I'm not reviewing the footage anymore. You know, I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. once the event's over, even if the divisions are on our YouTube channel, like I don't sit and watch them, you know, right, <laughs> it's like I'm right, barely right. <laughs> functioning after the event. <laughs> yeah. I should probably sit and watch all my contests, but I don't. Mm. So... <laughs> You know, I wish I could I could pull someone out and say, oh, my God, that was so amazing. But I, I definitely felt like the highlights for me are always um, the teams. I love the teams. Mm -hmm. Just love the teams. And the Open Lindy final is always mind blowing. You know, mm. once again, they're just throwing down. And the Am Lindy final, you know, people are throwing down there, too. <laughs> Half the time you're like, wait, which which was the pro division? These people are amazing, <laughs> you know? So I would say that those groups are definitely the most fun to watch and the most inspiring. But then you also have things that that surprise you, like the mix and matches for as much as they're people just dancing and there isn't like a prepared partner connection thing going on. The amount of support in the room for the dancers, because mm. all their friends come, you know, everybody's friends come and cheer them on. And that's amazing to witness. You know, just the love and support and people, I mean, it makes me want to cry, honestly, when Aww. I think of how supportive people are of each other mm. and just how much joy is in that room you know, when this is going on. There's just so much love and community and support, and it's just great. I do have to say, last year was my first one. Walking into that ballroom when, like, there were comps and, like, everyone just yelling, that was it gave me so much energy and yeah. everyone was so happy for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, especially, you know, there were so many other things going on that made that happen that way, but it mm -hmm. was a very, very supportive year. There have definitely been times where there's been like sort of warring factions and like a little bit of negativity and people being competitive in not a great way, you know, that definitely mm. happens. Um, but not recently. You know, when I when I think of those times, it's usually like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of that, a lot of that sort of negative uh, posturing is is in our past, thankfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So since we we touched on that, I was curious. Let's say we have someone who tends to go into that negative mindset of, oh, like become competitive negatively. Right. How would you, how would you like suggest they work through that? Well, I, I think I, I accept that that's part of 
being human. You know, there's a mm -hmm. reason why the yeah. NJC motto is it's not about winning or losing, but who places above you that counts. <laughs> 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 because I just remember being a competitor and being, you know, seeing your placement going like, oh, that's not, that's, that's good. We got third, you know, that's cool. And then you see the other, and you're like, what the, and all of a sudden <laughs> all the goodwill like gets sucked out of the room and you're like, I totally was better than them, you know. <laughs> So I yeah. think, you know, I have that there is sort of a reminder that it's normal to have these feelings of, you know, these competitive feelings. Like if you didn't have that, we wouldn't necessarily be doing this. Like we wouldn't have contests. Mm -hmm. We'd just be doing a social dance every night and nothing else, you know? So there's right. a, there's a level of that kind of like, I'm going to beat that person. That's probably a little bit healthy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just a little mm -hmm. bit. You know, uh -huh. it's, mo it's very motivating. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I just want to beat that guy, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, I think that's also sort of a newbie thing to come at it from that perspective. I think people that stick around long enough and compete year after year, I think some of that gets taken away because you realize that it's really not fun to go into a contest with all that negative energy and you do want to do this for fun and you get more self-confident too. A lot of that comes from lack of self-confidence. Mm -hmm. so as you progress and get better and maybe start winning some things or placing well I think I think a lot of that kind of like uh, feeling starts to dissipate or at least I hope you know so I think I think it's just something that has to happen naturally for the, the people who are feeling that way you know oh mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 150 percent now when it comes to competitions I know that people can be very nervous right and I I, I found a technique to like become unnervous, but I was curious like what you've done in the past and what you've seen other people do in the past, like fight those nerves. Well, when I was competing, I really had zero coping skills. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just be nervous and, and, and it was awful. So I don't mm. recommend that. Um, <laughs> if I were to do something like that now that created anxiety um for me one of the most effective things is is deep breathing exercises actually mm -hmm. that's that's a thing that just happens to work really well for me it may not for mm -hmm. most people but um yeah that that would be one technique i would recommend yeah that's that's funny you bring it up because that's what i do i do like oh, okay deep, yeah through the nose out the mouth several times um, yeah and i found i found that that helps that also helps me when i feel like I'm having an off night, especially for social dancing. I just do a couple of breaths and find like someone who I'm very comfortable dancing with, like Amy, and then dance with her. And it typically tends to fade. Um, yeah, which it's actually, sort of a reset. Yeah. Yeah, a perfect reset, which actually is a perfect segue into the topic of like social dancing at Camp Hollywood, because um, I feel like I've had some of the best social dances at Camp Hollywood just because of the sheer energy of the room. Um, and there are several different directions we could take this, but what was your vision when you made Camp Hollywood? Well, let me rephrase. When it comes to social dancing, like how do you view Camp Hollywood as an organizer from an organizer's perspective? Um, well, I certainly wish there was time for more of it, mm. you know, um, you know, in an ideal world, we would have every contest that I want to do and also nothing but social dancing. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to make both of those things happen. So mm -hmm. 
I've done my best to make sure that there's plenty of time for everybody to just get up and dance and not have to sit and watch things as much as you can with all of the things that we have to get through, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say we appreciate how much effort, it seems like you put in a lot of effort to make sure that there is dance time. Right. And I feel like, although I love comps and love watching them, I also really love like the social dancing aspect, um, which you just announced this today, you're bringing in a new room to Camp Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I'm really excited about it. Yeah, well, you know, this, I'm not going to take any credit because this group uh, from Arizona approached me and just said, we'd like to do some switch dancing. Is there a room we can use? Mm -hmm. That, that's kind of how it started. And I said, yeah, sure. And I just looked over the schedule and was like, okay, well, this room is available these times. And, um, you know, and then they they told me more about their idea of just like, we really want to focus on switch dancing and have a safe place for people that are all sort of doing the same thing. But we also want to have like showcase and really make it kind of like an, a little mini event. I mean, that th these are my words, not theirs. Uh -huh. um, and I'm all, I was all for that. I was like, great. Yeah, let's do it. You know, because I also have Adam Brzezowski teaching, um, so doing several classes on open role, you know, non-lead follow dancing so mm -hmm. people can learn it. So it's just like this weekend's going to have tons of opportunities for people who, you know, want to do switch dancing and open role dancing. Yeah, that when I when I read that literally about like an hour before we hopped on, I was like, this is going to be so fun. I know so many people that are going to feel heard and feel seen just by having that room be available. Um, and that, that room goes till like 1 a.m. Did I say that correctly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Saturday, Sunday night, um, we're going to pipe in music from the main room. So they're still part of the event, you know, <laughs> it's like they still enjoy the live music and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great. I think it's the perfect thing to be doing right now. I totally fully support breaking down, you know, hierarchical systems in, in partner dancing. I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, is how did this, which I know this is going back to the comp thing, but how did the switch comp come about? When did that start? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I think we had two or three of them before the COVID shutdowns. And the idea came from, there was actually an event called The Switch. Mm, oh yeah. One of our, Carrie Westbrook, who was our um, tabulation assistant was involved in that. And so she and I had been talking and I, you know, honestly, I can't remember whose idea the contest was or how it really came about, but I know it was sort of in that thread of thought of like, there's this movement happening and I would love to have a contest for that. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how it started, you know, to have a place for, for people who don't want to do lead follow traditional stuff. And I, when, when I first saw it, I remember thinking that's so inspiring for some, for pe people that I know who like to follow and lead. Right, because then it gives them a voice, just like how that social dancing room gives people a voice. And I think that that's really cool that your event promotes that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's something I feel really strongly about on on many many levels. 
you know, mm -hmm. I love that it's something that will make the event more welcoming to queer people in the mm -hmm. LGBTQ community, which is definitely a goal of mine. Um, but also the whole concept of switch dancing or open role dancing in general, to me is really for, is also for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. and I think it it just will solve so many of the problems that partner dancing has, which is it's so based on this ancient heteronormative male female patriarchal model, which always bugged me. Mm. But like mm -hmm. most people, I just kind of went with it because it was just, well, this is what it is. And if you want to partner dance, you know, if you're a woman, you're a follow and you dance with men who lead. And that's just how it is. And I love that people mostly younger than me are like, it doesn't have to be like that. Mm, Why can't we mm -hmm. do something else? And you know, for yeah. me, it's like, it never would have occurred to me. <laughs> 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 it's like, I love that people are so just willing to stand up and be like, no, we can change this. What do you mean we can't change this? You know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like, like my dream would be a world where everything is represented you know, if there are people that want to do like super traditional, I'm a, I'm a woman, I just want to follow, that's great. And if people want to not lead or follow, that's great. If you want, if you're a man and you want to follow, if you're a non-binary person, you know, I, I just, I mm -hmm. love the idea of just like anything being open to anybody without any kind of rules. I think that's what this dance really should be, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, after I was speaking with someone who dances in Philly, and what they're doing right now with college scenes is they start out every college lesson with each, everyone learning the other role. So like lead learns, follow, follow, learn, leans and vice, vice versa. So it takes away the concept of if you're this gender, you do this. If you're that, then you do that. And instead like keeps it fluid. And I yeah. think we're, we'll most likely see a lot more of this in the future. Um, yeah, I think so too. I, I, you know, Randy and Kara, uh, who are Balboa dancers and teachers in Northern California, they, they were way ahead of the curve on this. They were always doing mm. what they call ELEF, everybody lead, everybody follow. Yes, yes, yes. And I remember always being like, wow, <laughs> like, <laughs> it seems so space age and cool, you know, <laughs> like this, you know, 20 years ago, I was like, what's that? That's awesome. Because again, like, I really come from the era of ladies on this side, mm, men mm. on this side. And yeah. if anybody wanted to switch sides, it was like, what? Like, you can't do that, which is so <laughs> ridiculous and awful. But we're talking about the 90s. Like, it was a long time ago. And mm -hmm. things have changed a lot since then. And and I love that people are are really demanding change. You know, I think it's it's time. And I... At Camp Hollywood, I really want to want to support that. You know, it's a big goal of mine is to support that. I was going to say, as an organizer, I feel like that's so um, forward thinking of you to like listen to what other people are interested in, listen on what they want. Because in my opinion, that's the mark of an organizer who cares about the event and doesn't just care about the outcome. They care about the people and the culture and whatnot. Yeah, and it's not and it's not even about like wanting to keep my event alive and or relevant. It's I genuinely mm. believe in this. <laughs> oh yeah. It comes from a very genuine place as a person who absolutely loves Wendy Hop and partner dancing and wants to see it be all it can be, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that I feel like everyone who attends Camp Hollywood recognizes that immediately 
by the way that the event is structured, by the way that it's run, um, which actually got me thinking. We see Camp Hollywood and everything from like the front. We see like all the stuff that you put forward. What are some things that maybe some people might not know about Camp Hollywood that you feel like they should know? That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's easy to say as the organizer who's currently in that sort of crunch time where everything just feels like a pain in the ass <laughs> to be like, I wish people knew how hard it is. But uh. I mean, that's silly. You know, it's like, look, for as, as risky as doing this for a living is and as, as difficult as it can be, it's still a great thing to do. You know, I'm not going to mm. lie. Like, this is an amazing way to to make a living. I mean, I've done mm -hmm. I've done office jobs. Like, I know <laughs> I've cleaned houses for a living. I know what it's like to do other things to make money. And this this is definitely better than those things. <laughs> mm. But you know, part of that is there there is a lot of risk involved. I mean, I certainly never anticipated being shut down for two whole years. Yeah. Yeah, who would have predicted that would ever happen in our lives, you know, mm -hmm. um, and and there's all kinds of things there's there's a million things being thrown at you that you're not really prepared for that you're not professional enough for. Um, you know, I don't I don't have a degree in this I don't have any experience running events other than this one I'm not I'm sort of still after all these years, making it up as I go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so. Um, what would I want people to know about Camp Hollywood? Most people are very gracious and they recognize like how hard this can be and are very grateful. That's like 99.9% .9 of people that I've encountered are just like so yeah. happy to be there and, and like, oh, I can't even imagine how much, it, you know, how difficult this must be to pull off. And I think they get it. I think they know that it, it definitely takes a certain type of person to be able to do this. You have to be very... Mm -hmm detail oriented and very much um able to keep a million plates spinning at once you know and not not everyone can do that that's a skill that that I've always had so <laughs> able to keep things organized that's what they call it organizer and I could always be better at all of these things too absolutely but you know it, it does take a certain personality type to to do this sort of thing yeah for sure and it's not just Camp Hollywood I don't think a lot of people know but with the campus five, you're not just the lead singer. You are also you also do a lot of stuff behind the scenes, right? Yeah. I mean, Jonathan and I are are co-band leaders and we, you know, started the thing together. And um, you know, I look at it as he's the the creative director. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I kind of keep the the wheels greased. So I do the boring <laughs> things of, you know, filing our business license and sending out 1099s to all the musicians and making sure our taxes get filed and all that kind of stuff that most people just despise doing, but I actually enjoy paperwork. <laughs> I always say paperwork <laughs> is my jam. So, cause like there are rules and instructions and it's easy to follow. You just follow the steps and you're fine. So, so yeah, and that's the same for events too. You know, there's a ton of legal and, and financial and contract related things that are super boring and not fun and but have to happen in order for people to have a place to dance you know yeah 150 percent. i for one think that it's kind of it's incredible 
that you do you do Camp Hollywood and throughout the year you travel and do um, Campus Five as well. Like that speaks to your testament and skill and resilience, honestly. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, now, before we go towards like the wrapping up session, um, I was curious, was there anything that uh, you wanted to discuss that we didn't bring up yet? I don't think so. We covered everything of relevance. uh okay well then uh, to just go into like the final final three questions right so the first question i wanted to ask you was for those who don't know about camp hollywood which that's going to get fixed um where can they find information about that information about you campus five that kind of stuff okay um i would say you know we have a website camphollywood.net um we also have a facebook page which is where most of my posting energy goes so they should like mm-hmm. the camp hollywood facebook page um mm-hmm. we have an instagram as well just camp hollywood um and those are really the three main main sources of information mm-hmm. okay yeah. so all of those details i'll leave down in the description below and the other question I was going to ask was, in terms of um, events that you're going to or where you'll be playing with the Campus Five, um, whereabouts will you be at for the, for the coming year? Uh, well, we're going to finish out our, our summer residency at uh, Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty much every Sunday up until... Um, the weekend of Camp Hollywood, which is Labor Day, uh, first weekend of September. Um, I unfortunately will be missing the last week that we're playing there in August because I'm going to see Metallica. <laughs> Whoa, yes! <laughs> <laughs> which the irony of that is not lost on me. Um, so, but yeah, we will be at Knott's Berry Farm. Uh, we're also playing, well, I guess by the time this comes out, our, our um, Atomic gig next Friday will be over. So <laughs> they won't get to see that. But we do fairly regularly play uh, Atomic Ballroom in Irvine, um, one of my favorite mm-hmm. places to play. The dancers are great, you know, great, great people, great owners. Um, so I'm, I'm sure we'll have some more of those before the year's out. Yeah, we'll be Fantastic. around. Okay. And then my favorite question to ask all of my guests. So the last question is, what is the message you want to leave for any swing dancers that might be listening? I would say, um, you know, give yourself a break. Mm. <laughs> I think as the kind of people that are attracted to swing dancing tend to be very intense perfectionist people on the whole. Mm. And and sometimes it can kind of get to the point where it makes it not fun. You know, mm-hmm. like I hear people complaining about, you know, I just didn't feel good about my dancing tonight. I went out and I didn't have a good time or I was in a contest and I didn't do as well as I thought I would or I just didn't feel good about it. And I would say when you've been around long enough, you recognize that these feelings come and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and it's totally normal and we've all had them. And to just recognize that if you're in kind of a down place with your dancing at the moment, that that can and will change. You know, if you if you stick with it, if you you if you're persistent, and if you if the love of this drives you enough to keep going, mm-hmm. that 
whatever negative feelings you're having about your own, you know, lack of ability or, you know, just not being where you thought you would be or wanted to be, that that will pass. I think, I think as human beings, we don't have a lot of perspective <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> and we get caught up in this moment of, I can't do this. Uh, I mean, I definitely had those moments when I was learning Lindy Hop. I was like, I am never, ever, ever going to know how to do this damn dance. This is too hard. <laughs> I'm going to quit. I can't do it. And everyone I know that's still dancing tells me that story that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they tried and they were like, this is too hard. I cannot do it. And here mm -hmm. we all are, you know. So that would be my advice to especially new dancers who might get frustrated or hit these sort of roadblocks of, you know, let your love of this guide you and just kind of give yourself a break, you know, and accept that it'll come back around and you'll find that joyful place again. That, yes. So much yes on that. Actually, yes to the point where uh, if you're listening to this and you reach the end of the episode in the comments, put down, take a break. Because then <laughs> <laughs> it's a little thing I do with our diehard listeners. Uh, shout out to shout out to all of you. You know who you are. But when they comment that, like it helps me know who's like listening to the end. That way we can give them something once the event comes out. Oh, but nice. uh, no, that's. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for saying that, Hillary. Sure. Um, all right. Well, that takes us to the end of the episode. All the links that Hillary was talking about, we will leave that down in the description below. Um, Hillary, don't go anywhere once I stop recording. But everyone else, don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Instagram, all the thingies. But thank you all so much. Hillary, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. The music you are currently hearing is called Dances of the Night by Papa D. You can find all its links down below. Till next time. Don't lose hope, trying to stand tall, trying to give the dance of yours the best that you got cause. Every time that they hear this sound, that music gets the feet above the ground. Time just seems to stop in You gotta move, move, move. Got to, got to, got to be a dancer.